Okay, Pimmy and James, this is a true story, true real-life story. My grandfather on my dad's side, his middle name was Clyde. And my grandmother on my dad's side, her middle name was Sue. So do you think that explains why I like Pac-Man so much? Does that make me part ghost monster? Hey, what, what are you guys eating? Wait a minute. That's not cereal. That's power pellets? Well, why am I turning blue? Oh no! Pimmy and James Power! Whoa, 1600 points already! <laughs> Can't believe you chomped your own guest. <laughs> I, I'm just trying to get this floating cherry that's bouncing all over the place. There are too many cartoons. But they'll watch them all. The Penny and James to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. Welcome once again to the Penny and James kind of sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. And nope, we are not out of the video game adaptation realm just yet. Of course not. We got to do the. First, the beginning, the very tip-top first one that ever happened. Indeed, 1982's Pac-Man. And there could only be one guest for this one. Our dear old friend and one of the Internet's most underrated Pac-Man experts. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Carrie Woodham. Hi, I'm Carrie, and I'm really happy to be on this podcast. I like to consider myself a self-proclaimed number one Pac-Man fan in the world. I don't know if that's really true or not, but, you know, if you think you're a more bigger Pac-Man fan than I am, I'd love to hear from you. So, but anyway, I've known Pimmy and James for more than 25 years. We started talking on the internet in college, and uh, I've been able to, you know, be friends in person with uh, Pimmy for, you know, most of that time too, because uh, he lives nearby me. And so when they... Uh, we're doing their cartoon podcast. I said, you know, if you do one on the old '80s Batman cartoon, you got to have me as a guest. It's, it would be against the law not to. So here I am. Yeah, in some circles, Carrie's not just the man; he's the Pac-Man. Well, it's just um, you know, ever since I was little, and what we can get to this in a little bit, you know, I've always you know liked Batman the best as far as video games go, and it's really shaped you know the my taste in video games and just as a person in general. So, so yeah, it's what a lot of people think of when they think of me. Wait, does that mean you don't want to be a guest in case if we ever do guest ghostly adventures? Well, we'll, we'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> and before we get too deep, I want to give special thanks to Jim Corcus's blog on the cartoon research website, animation anecdotes for some of the details you'll be hearing on this podcast. Go check his stuff out. Sounds like it would be a fun read. Also, Kerry has a podcast of his own that he does that uh, he should that you all should check out. I think that I'll talk about that at the end if that's okay. That sounds good. Unless you want me to talk about it now. Either works uh, and, fine with me. Usually, I like to hit him coming and going. Okay. Well, before we get uh, started, I guess I'll say that you can read my video game reviews at gamerdad.com. G a m e r d a d.com. Uh, I've been writing there for over 20 years, 
And also I have a podcast called the Pizza Pixel Podcast that you can just do a search for and it'll come up. And uh, so after you listen to this podcast, please give those a listen to and a read if you like. And let me know what you think. I'd really appreciate it. Certainly an easier name to remember than ours. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'll ever get the name of your podcast right. So here's the 10 cent version of Pac-Man's history before the cartoon. Namco, the uh, amusement company based in Japan, developer Toro Iwatani wanted to make a game that would appeal primarily to women and family audiences in the face of the arcade scene being dominated by space shooters like Space Invaders and Asteroids and sports titles including Pong and the earliest racing games. So he picked a theme of eating. No, really. In Japan, eating sweets is considered a feminine thing. Why? I don't know. Hey, I mean, if there's anything that we all can admit to enjoying, it's eating. You gotta do it to live. What became Pac-Man started as Pakuman, with Paku being derived from the Japanese automatopoeia for a mouth opening and closing, while the ghosts were re a concept revived from a previous game he worked on, Cutie Q, only given different colors and big, moving eyes to add personality. It would turn out that Pac-Man was a hit with darn near everyone and exploded further when Midway licensed the game for distribution in the United States. I'd also like to add that Toru Aritana based the ghost off of a, a Japanese comic strip that he used to like to read called Kyutaro. I always thought that was kind of interesting. Isn't that the, uh, the comic and anime that the uh, Ch Chubby Cherub game was based on? Yes. Indeed it was. Exactly. From the creators that would later create uh, Doraemon. Yeah, Doraemon, yeah. Mm -hmm. Pac-Man fever was... Everywhere, figuratively and literally, thanks to a song of that name by Buckner and Garcia. Which I still have the record album of. That's a collector's item these days. Yep. It's crazy when you think about all the insane Pac-Man merchandise that was out back then. I know. Oh, yes. How it was when uh, Frozen first came out and you saw Frozen stuff everywhere. That's how it was like with Pac-Man. I, I don't think any of us could understate just how popular Pac-Man was back then. There were Pac-Man coloring books, stickers, figurines, bedsheets, which I had, and so much more would come out and sell like mad. And this is a merchandising blitz for a video game, which is unheard of at that time. <laughs> Short-lived theme park at uh, Six Flags. Yep, I've been there. Same. And I'm jealous. <laughs> no, don't be jealous. Trust me. <laughs> You'll see why in a bit. I'll tell you a story about that in a bit. When Namco didn't make a video game sequel nearly quick enough for Midway's liking, Midway made their own using what started as a non-licensed conversion kit from a group called General Computing Corp, turning their Crazy Auto into what we know as Ms. Pac-Man. Boy, is that causing a lot of problems these days. Yeah, but there's that's a, story there's for another time. problems right now with all that that Timmy did a really good video on a while back. So by the time Hanna-Barbera's cartoon... Today's subject, which was written and developed by... Oh, God, it's him again. It's your buddy, Jeffrey Scott. Not Jeffrey Scott. <laughs> so when that entered the picture, there were at least three different Pac-Man-themed arcade machines available from Midway here in the States, with another two listed by Wikipedia as coming out the following month. Midway really went to town with that license. 
Pac-Man almost wasn't Jeffrey Scott's baby. Mark Evanier of Groot the Wanderer and Garfield and Friends fame was initially offered the job with a Pac-Man arcade cabinet to sweeten the deal. But when he saw the production schedule and the time he had to do it, among other unspecified things, he turned it down. More proof that Evanier is one of the biggest heroes of Saturday morning that your average Joe on the street has never heard of. I mean, if you ignore the fact that he's partially responsible with the creation of Scrappy-Doo. <laughs> That's a story for another time. <laughs> so, how did Jeffrey Scott and the rest at Hanna-Barbera approach this very abstract game? They took the concept of Pac-Man needing a power pellet to turn the tables on the ghosts into the MacGuffin of the series overall. A humanoid villain named Mesmeron kind of a sci-fi version of Gargamel in that he's in pursuit of the power pellets and only rarely seems to get to them. He's employing the ghost monsters to capture them. And those ghost monsters here are numbering five by adding Sue from Ms. Pac-Man to the ranks of Inky, Blinky, Pinky, and Clyde. And they also colored her purple. It looks good on her. Also, they're very inconsistent with Mesmeron's height in this show, like, massively. Sometimes he's, like, two like the size of two Pac-Man, and sometimes they make him, like, Godzilla-sized. When not dealing with these foes, the dynamics of the Pac family and their neighborhood feels more akin to a simplified version of past Hanna-Barbera properties like the Flintstones. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of the thing. It's, like, either it's Pac-Man vs. the Ghost episode, or it's a Pac family episode. Or we get to see the questionable parenting skills of Pac-Man. <laughs> I won't say he's a bad dad because he's really not. He just makes some decisions that really raise my eyebrows sometimes. Who <laughs> oh, brother? So Hanna-Barbera returned to one of their veteran performers, comedian Marty Ingalls, who had performed as Auto Cat in the Cattanooga Cats anthology series and as Beagley Beagle in The Great Grape Ape to perform the title character, while actress Barbara Minkus, in her only animated voiceover role, performed Pepper Pac-Man. So or, I have a couple of things to say about the, vo the, the two voices you've gone through so far. First of all, when I was telling a friend and co-worker a few days ago about this podcast that we were going to record, I showed him a little bit of the Pac-Man cartoon, and he said, that's not what Pac-Man should sound like. And I didn't say anything because, you know, I'm not going to argue about a cartoon voice. But in my head, I was like, shut up. That's a good voice. <laughs> Personally, I, I, I agree. I actually like Marty Ingalls' voice for Pac-Man. Um, yeah, it seems like a good fit. But maybe it's just because that's what we're used to. Kind of like how I was used to Captain Lou Albano. And then when uh, Mario had that uh, high squeaky voice later on, I was like, what is that? <laughs> By the way, did you know that uh, Marty Ingalls played a character in Darkwing Duck? Uh, yes, I, I remember that from uh, another one of your podcaster videos, that he was the devil in an episode that you probably can't even watch anymore. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, yeah. Man. yeah, there's an episode where Darkwing supposedly dies, and uh, he goes to the H-E he double hockey sticks, and the devil's voiced by Marty Ingalls, <laughs> which is kind of hilarious. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Now, one last note on Marty. At, he at one point suggested that Pac-Man have a catchphrase, Pack a Pack a Wowie, which turned into a whole kerfluffle 
with executives throwing around over a dozen variations until the whole thing was kiboshed. Marty would later relate that the whole thing was a bunch of baloney that nearly gave him a panic attack. I can relate, Mr. Ingalls, all too well. I kind of Pac-Man does have a catchphrase in this, and it's it's a simple one, but I think it works really well, which is, "I'm in big trouble." Yeah, I was just gonna think about that. I was like, "Did Pac-Man have a catchphrase?" I was like, "Well, he did say that a lot." <laughs> yep. And, and another thing that I like that Hanna Barbera did was give Pac- Ms. Pac-Man the nickname Pepper. Yeah. I thought that was really clever because if you think about it, like let's just let's just pretend that I have a wife. Okay, you stop laughing. Let's pretend I have a wife, and we just come home from work, and I say, hello, Ms. Carrie Woodham. How was your day today? You know, it doesn't make sense. So this way, you know, giving her the name Pepper was kind of a clever idea. I think it would have been really neat if when they had to change Ms. Pac-Man to Pac-Mom, I think it would have been cool if they would have just called her Pepper. (laughs) It also confused me as a kid because when I saw that there was a video game named Pepper 2, I thought it was related to... Pac-Man at first. Oh, and what happened to Pepper 1? Yeah, you know, I always wondered that. <laughs> but yeah, I think Pepper is a really cute name that they picked for her, so. Yeah, Props. I think that was a really clever thing that, because, you know, Hanna-Barbera didn't really have much to go on, you know, with just a maze, so they, I think they did, the, you know, maybe almost the best they could. And, and one more thing before we go on, if you want to hear more about the history of Pac-Man, I really recommend that you, after this podcast, that you go watch uh, the YouTuber Slopes Game Room and look up his videos on the history of Pac-Man. And the reason why is because I helped with those. I I edited his 45-page script, and I gave him some other tips and pointers. So if if any of the listeners do need more history or background of Pac-Man, then I recommend that. That's awesome. Okay. So that's all I have to say so far. Sorry. (laughs) That's fine. I'm picking back up. Rusty Taylor, only a few years into her storied run as a voice actor, and already a seasoned veteran as Strawberry Shortcake, and inheriting the role of Pebbles Flintstone in the Flintstones comedy show, would perform Pac-Baby. Of course, Rusty would go on to perform such roles as Minnie Mouse and the Duck Triplets Huey, Dewey, and Louie in countless Disney productions, all the way up to her passing in 2019. Yeah, she was like the voice for Minnie Mouse for the longest time. And she's absolutely adorable in those uh, Paul Rudish uh, Wonderful World of Mickey Mouse shorts that they did. I'm playing Disney's Illusion Island right now, by the way. <laughs> How do you like that? Oh, uh, it's, it's pretty good. It's like a Metroidvania that's really easy, but it's still fun. Okay. It looks really cute from what yeah, I see. Yeah, it is. It is. And there's an Oswald reference in it, so nice. I'll show you later. Rounding out the family unit are the pets. Sourpuss and Chomp Chomp, performed respectively by Peter Cullen and Frank Welker, which is possibly the first time these two veteran performers were so directly paired up. Actually, if I remember right, they were paired up in one show before this, and that was Mighty Man and Yuck. Okay. Yeah, yeah, now now I'm remembering that. But uh, this is the first time they had uh, characters that were rivals to each other, (laughs) which would weirdly predate Transformers. (laughs) (laughs) So I do have a story, a funny thing I, I thought of about Chomp Chomp uh, recently that I thought y'all might, that y'all might get a kick out of. Sure. I saw one of those internet joke memes or memes, whatever you call those, and uh, a, a few months ago, and the caption read, for every generation, there is a blue dog that guides them. 
And then it showed a picture of Huckleberry Hound for like the boomer generation, you know, 1950s. And then it showed a picture of Blue from Blue's Clues for the kids in the 2000s. And then the last pick was Bluey for the kids of today. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, there's no Generation X, you know, or, you know, Blue Dog for our generation. And then I thought, oh, wait, our generation's Blue Dog was Chomp Chomp. No wonder why that our generation so messed up if our blue dog to guide us was a video game character's pet that went. Maybe that's why we have an obesity problem. <laughs> well, we're pretty messed up, I guess, but I just thought that was a funny thing that came through my head when I saw that. Well, it was either Chomp Chomp or that Foofer fellow. Ooh, I'll go with Chomp Chomp. Yeah, I'll go with Chomp Chomp too. <laughs> Which Chomp Chomp almost got his own game. He almost did, yeah. That's true. And they almost did a hack of Pack and Pal and changed Pal to Chomp Chomp. So. Yeah. Our lead villain, Mesmeron's voice, is provided by Alan Lurie, one of his best-known roles over a career of providing additional voices for several Hanna-Barbera shows. So now that you're talking about Mesmeron, I think I'll share with you my uh, story about uh, Pac-Man's land in Six Flags Over Texas. You're really not missing much. This was back before... Time Warner owns Six Flags, so now that the kids now the kids area is Looney Tunes Land, but before that, they would have you know whatever was popular at the time be the kids theme. So for a couple of years, it was Pac Man Land, and all it was was it just had like a Ferris wheel where they painted it to look like Pac Man. They had like a little tube maze you can go through, and they had a puppet show. Well, it was a magic show, but it had like a, a guy on stage doing basic magic tricks. And they had like a little Pac-Man puppet sitting in a tree. And then at the end, they had somebody in a full Mesmeron costume come out. And it was actually a pretty good costume. And they had him sit in this little uh, box that he would pull a crank and it looked like he got flattened and he'd come out flat. But the, the thing I remember about that was, as a kid was they called him Megatron, not Mesmeron. Oops. I, wanted, I wanted to stand up and correct them, but, you know. I was always taught as a kid not to interrupt, so I did it. But uh, so yeah, that was just a funny thing about what I remember about the the Pac-Man theme park at Six Flags from a long time ago. Other than that, they had to share the area with Shirt Tails, and as a little five year old, I was so mad about that. I was like, I don't want to share Pac-Man with Shirt Tails. Although nowadays I'd be okay with that, but not back then. <laughs> I, I I remember that. Uh, yeah, I remember seeing that puppet show as a kid too. I. Remember, wasn't the puppet based on, like, the cartoon Pac-Man 2? You know, I don't remember if it was or not. I just think that the voice was awful high-pitched, if I remember correctly. It didn't seem like it was. I just remember it was a tiny little puppet sitting in a tree. It was like, Pac-Man's not that small, or is he? (laughs) I mean, if if Mesmeron is the size of a normal human, maybe, depending on what episode you're watching. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, his size kind of fluctuates. You're right. I wonder if I wonder if you can find that Pac-Man puppet anywhere online. I don't know. There's not a whole lot of video or, or footage of anything about the, the Pac-Man theme park at Six Flags. Only a few photos and that's it. The Ghost Monsters, meanwhile, are performed by some real veterans. Neil Ross, before going to fame as Shipwreck and Buzzer on G.I. Joe, or as Slag and Springer on the Transformers, would perform one of his first major roles as Clyde, the leader of this ghostly quintet. Like Blue Ghost Inky is Barry Gordon, who we've encountered on this podcast as Clamhead on Jabberjaw, and of course is best known as Donatello and Bebop 
in the 1987 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. We've also got the ever-versatile Chuck McCann doing double duty as Blinky and Pinky, using voices he'd employ later as Burger and Bouncer Beagle, respectively, in DuckTales. He was also Duckworth on DuckTales. Just throwing that And out. also the Amoeba Boys on Powerpuff Girls, if I remember correctly. Didn't That's he? Correct. One of his voices was like, exactly like Blinky's. Finally, Sue is voiced, appropriately enough, by Susan Silo, whose other credits include reoccurring roles in Xiaolin Showdown and El Tigre, The Adventures of Manny Rivera. I actually know her as, as uh, shoot, I can't remember her name now, but the fe- the female member of the copycats on Kid Video. Oh. She-Lion, that's her name. Okay. That's a show we need to watch some point. Uh-huh. It'll never be on DVD. <laughs> I have to say that I like the ghost monsters just as much, if not more, than Pac-Man himself. I always have. Even as a kid, I just thought the ghost monsters were cool. Do we need to mention that they got the personalities wrong in this cartoon? <laughs> but <laughs> Well, I don't know if, if they really had them all ironed out anyway by then, but once we talk about how I think that the cartoon influenced some of the games, yeah, there's that's definitely a, a, the time to do that. We can, we can do that whenever you're, you're ready to. See, I was just going to mention that in the games, it's more or less they've made that Blinky was more or less the leader. He's the first one that comes out of the box. He's the one that shadows you. And Clyde is the dumb one because other than being nicknamed Pokey, he just kind of meanders around. But Clyde also sounds more like a leader name when you think of like Bonnie and Clyde. So Yeah, like a gangster name. But that was also why he's named Clyde and not having a rhyming name was because he... He's the dumb ghost, but eh. Yeah. But yeah, I think that a lot of the games after the Pac-Man cartoon, even though I don't think Namco would want to admit it, but I think a lot of the, the games that came afterward, you know, were really influenced by the cartoon. Like, you know, for instance, you know, there's Pac-Land, of course. And then Pac-Mania, the ghost, you know, Inky has the googly eyes and there's Sue, who looks just like the cartoon. And they even use Sue and Pac-Attack. Pac-Man 2 has uh, Super Pac-Man uh, with outfit that looks almost just like the one from the cartoon. You've got to talk about that voice, too. And <laughs> even uh, Ms. Pac-Man May's Madness, the villain is Mesmerelda. Yep. So, yeah. And, and, you know, like you said, the whole mix-up between Blinky and Clyde, which lasted well into Pac-Man World 2. <laughs> I remember talking with the team. I was like, guys, look at the original Pac-Man game. Blinky is red. He's not Clyde. <laughs> He's not orange. Yeah. <laughs> well, shall we get into our first episode? Sure thing. Sure. This is The Day the Forest Disappeared, which I believe was written by Jeffrey Scott. I'm guessing you're bringing it up now, Pem. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, I don't... Let's see if, it's, uh, if it says... I do. I do love the theme song on this, because I, I love how it's like... Pac-Man! It's like, why is, this, this, why is there this deep, like, I don't know, sinister-sounding voice yelling Pac-Man's name in the theme song? <laughs> uh, let's see. It, I, I'm looking at the actual episode. It doesn't say the who wrote the episode on the actual title card. They didn't That's want funny. their name associated with it. That's funny. It, his name pops up for the second one. That's weird. Oh, well. So on Pack Street... Our hero is leaving for work and finds something odd. He doesn't remember his hubcaps being different colors. Yeah, but what does it matter? <laughs> yeah, whatever. I'll just, I'll just go to work anyway. <laughs> yep. 
He just shrugs it off, despite them obviously being the colors of four of his regular pests. Oh, he knows. Uh, he, he's just like, ah, Pepper just colored him. Of course, the ghostly quintet are hiding in this fashion to find the power pellet forest, with Blinky as the spare tire in the trunk. Which I think makes Blinky the smart one, honestly. Yeah, because the rest of them are going, whoa! The secret road to the forest launches all five off via mud, water, and a massive number of rocky bumps. So much so that it opens a trunk and throws out the spare tire. Blinky expresses relief at simply surviving when a pack hobo comes to chomp the ghost hubcaps. I'm just going to throw out that that pack hobo might be the strongest person in the whole pack land because he didn't need a power pellet to eat them. He just ate them straight up. Fair point. The embarrassed ghosts, reduced to their eyes, return to Mesmeron's mountain hideaway and send him colliding with some of his gear. Hurriedly putting on new ghost suits, Inky accidentally puts on a garbage can. I guess he was the original garbage pill kid. Inky's awesome, by the way. (laughs) And then Clyde throws him onto Mesmeron's head. Don't. I gotta give Inky credit. He's talking some kind of smack to Mesmeron in this episode. (laughs) Turns out they didn't even have the plan right. Mesmeron wanted to put a camera on the hubcap. Oh Oh my god, these ghosts must be brain dead. Well, I mean, literally they're eyes and sheets and hats, so where are the brains? (laughs) Well, luckily, Mesmeron now has a brilliant new scheme. A homing pigeon which Pinky releases right as the plan is explained. But fortunately the homing pink, well, fortunately for them, the homing pigeon goes straight back to the power pellet forest. How does it know to go back to the power pellet forest, or how was it taught to do this? That's not explained. Yeah, of course don't, not. They need to know, don't they need to know where they're going first? Yeah. And that, that would mean that they would already have to have been there, and he never knew where the power forest was, so I don't know. It's a fair point, but... Off they go to stop the pigeon, stop the pigeon, stop... Wait, no, wrong cartoon. <laughs> At the forest's security office, Pac-Man is trying to catch a rat with a few power pellets, but just catches his boss, Grump. It's like, man, naming your boss Grump, that's just on the nose with the, with the blue-collar workers you can get. Also, I feel you, Pac-Man. I used to work as a security guard at one point, too. The grouchy Pac-Fellow directs Pac-Man's attention back to his job, where Mesmeron and the ghosts are incoming. Pac-Man sounds the alarm, and the trees are brought underground. Pretty impressive setup they got there. Mm-hmm. The ghosts do some comedic business, revolving around Inky spotting a flea on Clyde's hat, just as Sue spots the pigeon. And Mesmeron orders them to land by letting out the air, which... Pinky does far too fast. Don't. Post-crash, Mezzi quickly deduces the trees were hidden underground, but their celebration is cut short by Pac-Man and the Pac-Marines. Which are wearing army outfits, I might add. <laughs> also, they they attach their like helmets under their nose. That looks really uncomfortable. <laughs> Where would they attach it to, you know? Fair point. It still looks uncomfortable, though. Yeah. Oh, it's a pack attack! As the ghosts turn purple and flee from the powered-up pack folk. 
You know, why we're on that, why do they turn purple? Shouldn't they be turning blue, like, in the game? I never understood that either. Yeah. Because I, I thought at once maybe they thought that, like, blue would be too close to inky, but then again, Sue's purple, so... Maybe they just ran out of blue ink. Dark blue ink. I don't know. Dark blue wasn't in their pal. <laughs> Hanna-Barbera couldn't afford dark blue paint. <laughs> Mesmeron has to do everything himself. Hitting Pac-Man and the Pac-Marines with a laugh laser to distract them. Now, where does this come from? I don't know, but I kind of like that weapon. Can I? Where can I get one of those? I, I wouldn't mind it either, because, oh boy, does it work. Pac-Man just walks up to the ghost, says they look like purple pillowcases, and doubles over onto his back by, with his laughter. Unfortunately, due to the ghost being not the brightest, they immediately think that they're also under the effects of the laugh laser, despite the fact that they're not. <laughs> yeah, they they got it so bad, they start insulting Mezzi when, when he approaches, and he has to tell them it doesn't work on ghosts. It's our egg-headed master! <laughs> and I thought we looked like idiots! <laughs> <laughs> You smart brains! This laugh laser has no effect on ghost monsters! It don't, huh? Which, to, to Neil Ross's credit, I love Clyde's, like, response after that. It's like, slow stop of laughter, and it's like, it doesn't, huh? <laughs> I like the ghost. <laughs> They're great. So, after reinflating the balloon... Inky harpoons some land, and they uproot um, some of the trees. All of the trees. Uh... They're not very consistent. <laughs> also, I don't see how that would work exactly, but, you know, we're also watching a cartoon about Pac-Man. <laughs> it's past midnight when Pac-Man and the Pac-Marines snap out of their laughing fit, and Pac-Man rushes off to retrieve the trees alone. I guess he figures he's the only one who can do it at this point, or feels that he's at fault, so he has to fix it. You'd think he'd call his wife first. She's probably wondering where the hell he is. <laughs> yeah, and admittedly, he's not necessarily the only one at fault, because, you know, he had a whole regiment of pack Marines with him. But... Yeah, but I don't think the boss can fire the Marines. They can fire him. <laughs> so now that he's in control of all the pack power, Mesmeron turns it on Pac-Land disabling their power grid. Which the pack people panic and even ask, where's Pac-Man? Which, wow, I mean, there's a lot of stress put on this poor security guard, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, Pac-Man's right where he needs to be. Disguised as a man from the power company, dealing with Mesmeron and company not having paid their bill. However, for once, the ghosts aren't completely dumb here because Clyde's like, mm, haven't I chomped you before? And we should mention that Pinky's voice comes out of Blinky when they ask how much they owe. I imagine mistakes like this happen a lot. Well, yeah, there's an earlier scene where uh, Clyde's voice actually comes out of Blinky, too. So once he realizes his ruse has been revealed, Pac-Man runs right to Mesmeron, who tells him precisely which lever powers up the machine. Why would he do that? He's that confident that Pac-Man can't stop it, but Pac-Man is not interested in stopping that. He's interested in getting some power pellets, which 
seemingly come right out when you pull that lever. <laughs> Convenient. Very. So routine comedic business ensues as Pac-Man chases the ghosts around the hideout. And once they've been chomped, Mesmeron boasts he doesn't need those goons since he has the trees. Before we get to that, I just want to point out he didn't even have to chomp Blinky. Blinky has an anxiety attack and just just loses it as without it. <laughs> and I don't think that's the first time he did that either. I think there's other times where he just chickened out and just like let go of his suit and just run off with his eyes. <laughs> I mean, if, if you know what's going to happen, and supposedly it hurts, so... <laughs> but Pac-Man informs Mesmeron that the trees are very obedient. He just tells them to follow him to a new location, and they do. Yeah, they just uproot and walk off. I didn't think we had to end the episode. <laughs> or they ran out of time. <laughs> Mesmeron just impotently yells at them to return as the episode ends. Yeah, that's that part of the reason I picked this episode, because, like, there was a large period of time where I hadn't seen this cartoon in a long time, because, you know, it wasn't rerunning anywhere. And that was, like, literally for the longest time, one of the only scenes I remembered was literally the trees just getting up and walking off. Because <laughs> I was just like, Whoa. even as a little kid, I was like, what? Somewhere, Atari took notes and used that concept in Crystal Castles. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Power pellet trees are very obedient. Walk off. Oh. That. Yeah. That. <laughs> well, I'm going to figure out what to say as we take our commercial break. <laughs> On the next Pemmy and James podcast, is he a dashing gentleman thief? Is he a dangerous international criminal? Or is he a goofball with an overactive libido? Lupin the Third is all of those things, and his adventures have been a staple of the anime world for decades. But would you believe he has a very unusual tie to Inspector Gadget? All this and more in two weeks. covers roughly one half of what would go on in this show. The other half is more kind of a life-at-home family comedy, exemplified by the episode Pemmy suggested, Hocus Pocus Pac-Man. Written, this one does say written by Jeffrey Scott, or story by Jeffrey Scott. Maybe someone else wrote that episode when they, when they wrote that the trees just get up and walk away. They're like, please don't put my name on this. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, didn't Jeffrey Scott also do the Mega Man cartoon? He did some episodes of it, but he wasn't the lead guy in it. He was the lead guy in charge of Captain N. Yeah, I, I like that, that podcast that y'all did on that. Yeah, I think that's another reason why Generation X is so messed up. We can blame Jeffrey Scott. There you go. Uh, he was also responsible for James's favorite show, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, James. I couldn't avoid I couldn't. He also was, uh, I think, the one of the story heads on uh, Challenge of the Super Friends, which I like that show a lot, but boy, it's a thing. <laughs> well, here we go with Hocus Pocus Pac-Man. As a car that sounds like George Jetson's drives by, 
Gotta use that Hanna-Barbera sound library. Too true. The mailman is sorting the pack family's mail, and Chomp Chomp jumps in to feast on some junk mail. Gosh, I wish I had a dog that did that for me. Sourpuss collides with the mailman on his way to chase the dog, but the mailman just takes it all in stride and heads off. This is the calmest mailman in existence. <laughs> I guess this is before the going postal stereotype was around. Yeah. We're a great many years before Newman. <laughs> or even, uh, well, we had Garfield's frustrated uh, mailman by this point, I think. And I, and I think Cliff Clavin was still a couple years out. So as, as said mailman heads off, we catch Pac-Man in a hammock, taking a snooze as the pet's chase ties him up and then wrecks the hammock. I, I also have to say in this episode, I think Pac-Man has an infinite number of hammocks. So this must happen pretty regularly. After some repairs, Pac-Man resumes his nap, only to later be reawakened by Pepper, causing another spin-out. Spin-out? This isn't the pole position cartoon. She's going shopping and asks Pac-Man to watch Pac-Baby, and he says he'll take good care of him right after he takes care of himself. <laughs> I'm not going to say Pac-Man's a bad dad, I'm just going to say he's a slightly irresponsible dad. <laughs> Especially considering this tyke is bouncier than a rubber ball from one of those gumball machines that you bite into and get disappointed it isn't gum. I guess it's just a pack thing. The pack people are made of rubber. I mean, I guess they're ball shaped. Why not? Yep. This wakes up Pac Man and he deposits the Wii one in one of those fence like play pens to try to resume his nap. Also, holy crud, like looking at this, Pac Baby is freaking huge when he puts him in the play pen. It's almost as big as Pac-Man. <laughs> I don't know what he expects this to accomplish because it does nothing to deter the bouncing baby boy from exiting and taking a joyride on a lawnmower. And before we continue, this lawnmower raises questions. It's got a lot of mini Pac-Man on it. It's, it looks like it's sentient even. Is, is these the lesser Pac-Man that you use for your equipment? I don't even know where Are they larval Pac-Man? It's a living. (laughs) (laughs) So in the end, Pac-Man gets it in the end. Which I gotta say, that looks really painful. Because it's like his nether regions just got attacked by a lawnmower. Guess that's why they only have one kid. (laughs) Ouch. Well, technically Pac-Man had two kids, but... Oh, that's true, but... So now the playpen is turned upside down so the bottom acts as a makeshift roof. And Pac-Man again tries to sleep. I thought that was funny that he just like pretty much put Pac-Baby in jail. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. <laughs> Irresponsible. Yeah, it's just like... I mean, jeez. But Pac-Baby is left with a bottle of power pellets, which doesn't raise questions as much as it highlights that Pac-Man is poorly qualified to supervise a pet rock. <laughs> yeah, he's he's not winning any levels. It's like Fred Flintz is like, oof, feel better about all my mistakes. <laughs> I think Pebbles is probably easier to take care of than Pac Baby, though. Bam Bam's easier to take care of than this. <laughs> <laughs> Baby Animal from Muppet Babies is easier to take care of. And, and then think of all the stuff Bam Bam does, and Barney just brushes it off, and here Pac Man's already annoyed. <laughs> already putting his. Baby in freaking baby jail. <laughs> so the powered-up baby eats out of his makeshift cage and turns on a sprinkler system that's suddenly all over the yard, where it sure wasn't before. 
More vintage Hanna-Barbera inconsistency for you folks. I guess in retrospect, I, I can't give Pac-Man too much credit. I mean, if if my child attacked me with a, in the nether regions with a lawnmower, I'd be pretty upset too. <laughs> Pac-Man tries to catch the tot and just gets tied up in a swing set via some of the least impressive gag timing I've seen on this show so far. Also, uh, baby Pac-Man seemingly ate Miss Pac-Man's flowers or something. I forgot, but mm. I, I do, I do think that scene is a little cute. Though, where baby Pac-Man just goes up and kisses him, and he's like, "Yeah, keep this up, and I, Daddy will go cuckoo." <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Now the baby is back in the apparently repaired playpen with the pets watching, all against a blank void. No floor, no windows, no background of any sort except some flat colors. They, they do this quite a bit in this show for some reason. Pac-Man's house just has, like, the green void, seemingly. <laughs> if you wanted proof of Mark Evanier's fears about too fast the turnaround time, here it is. Pac-Man decides the best thing to do is tell Pac-Baby a story, but he finds a Pac-Magic book and decides to use that to entertain his kid. Okay, I want to take a pause for a second just looking at some of these books. There's a Pack to the Drawing Board, Pack and the Beanstalk, Art Paco. Ah, that one's actually kind of clever. Great, bring him Pack Alive and War and Packs. Those those are pretty decent. At, at least somebody wasn't phoning it in. But also, half, here we are halfway through the episode. We finally get delivery on the promised premise. Yep, some magic. We get some more basic gags, including Chomp Chomp eating a card, but the greatest trick of all is pulling a pack rabbit out of a hat. Only he lacks the rabbit. The pets want none of it. So Pack Baby will have to do. Someone call Child Protective Services! <laughs> Great parenting here, Pac-Man! <laughs> Even the dumb adults who can't see why kids love Cinnamon Toast Crunch can see what's coming next. Hey, the magic trick works, though. Yeah, Pac-Man makes the tyke disappear with the magic words, and he decides it's a cinch. Now he attempts to bring the kid back by tapping the hat three times and saying the words backwards. Oh, we didn't mention that he actually put the baby in the hat, but... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Pac-Man puts the baby in the hat, says the magic spell, baby's gone, even holds the, holds the freaking hat upside down to verify. It's like, what if your baby freaking fell out right then, Pac-Man? The baby would bounce. Ah, uh, true. Bouncing baby boy, literally. Yep. It's like, I can think of two bouncing boys in cartoon history now. We got baby Pac and baby Plas. Now, about that saying the magic words backwards, Pac-Man can't. Each attempt is further from the incantation than the last. And at no point does he do the sensible thing and grab the book to actually read it from there. He can't even properly tell his wife that everything's fine over the phone, though she doesn't notice. And he's in panic mode, looking, getting his pets to help him look all over the house to find out where baby Pac-Man's disappeared to. Yeah, Sourpuss uses this as an excuse for more mischief involving the washing machine, which backfires. Eventually, the bedroom is a mess from Pac-Man's frantic search as Pepper arrives home with the groceries. And Pac-Man improvises with Chomp Chomp sitting in for the baby in the rocker. I mean, in Pac-Man's defense, I sure wouldn't want to tell my wife... Well, I don't have a wife now, but if I did, I sure wouldn't want to tell her that I lost our child. 
Sourpuss spoils that ruse via some pack fleas. Pepper demands an answer, and Pac-Man demonstrates what happened, finally getting the backwards incantation right in the process. And lo and behold, baby Pac is back. Oh, Pac is back. <laughs> and as Pepper carries the little tyke to his room, Pac-Man just decides to go to sleep right there on the lack of floor. <laughs> and even that's still interrupted by the pets. I, I, I feel sorry for him not to be able to get his nap in, but I also can't say he doesn't deserve this either. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this cartoon was uh, kind of cartoon business as usual. I have to say that even, you know, though Pac-Man showed some pretty poor parenting in that episode, I've always liked Pac-Man when he's portrayed as a family man. You know, whether it be in the cartoon or the games or anything else, I don't know. I just there's not a whole lot of video game characters who are you know uh, raising a family, and so I just think it's kind of cool that Pac-Man does that. You know, I mean, what what's what better to aspire than to be a good dad and, and husband? So I don't know. Yeah. It's I kind of like that aspect of him too. So I agree with you on that. Yeah. Same. Granted, they've kind of retconned that all now. Yeah. But not necessarily. <laughs> they kind of did for a while and now they kind of went yeah, back to it with... to, now they're back to the the family thing again just so they can show the people who own Miss Pac-Man nah, 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 we can still do this nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Pac-Mom yeah but is baby Pac-Man like or Pac-Sis I think is what they call it is it still Pac-Man's kid in that or is it like now his sister or something well there's Pac-Man, Pac-Mom Pac-Junior is now Pac-Boy and baby pack is pack sis because pack sis is a little baby. Yeah, but I mean, are they still like Pac Man's kids now, or did they retcon that out? No, they're still his kids because in Pac Man World Repack, um, it's basically the same plot as, as the original game. They just changed the names of the characters, and, and Chomp Chomp is now Pack Buddy, even though uh, I don't I don't think that the Ms. Pac Man people own the rights to Chomp Chomp. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either. I. I think Hanna-Barbera would be that, but I mean, maybe they're just playing it safe at this point. Probably. But again, I really think that whole thing is just a pissing contest between Namco and the other company just to see, you know, yeah, we can do this. But yeah, as far as the cartoon goes, uh, it's not, (laughs) it's not the best cartoon in the world. That's for sure. Uh, It's pretty bad, but you know, I still put it high on my favorites list. And even though, you know, you shouldn't let nostalgia cloud your opinions. I'm a human being and I'm not perfect. And this is just one of those times where it is. So there you are. I like the Patman cartoon. I bought the episodes on DVD when they were available on WB's website. And so there, man, for better or for worse. I'll definitely say it's probably one of the better early eighties video game based cartoons. And I still have a soft spot for it as well. Yeah. And, and like the Christmas episode, when that came on TV on primetime, you know, the, you know, when you're a kid, you had those little moments where, you know, you feel the magic of Christmas and all that, you know, I kind of did then cause I was so excited to watch that cartoon, you know, with my mom and dad, you know, and everything. So as horrible as it was, you know, I, I just have some, a lot of good memories about that show. I would have been just about two years old when it started, so I probably loved it unconditionally because of the bright colors and funny voices. But as I watched reruns of it on the USA Cartoon Express, some chinks in its armor started to become obvious. The scripting in the second season episode 
hey, 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 it's PJ, for instance. When Pac-Man tries to convince a semi-delinquent Fonz-like character who is apparently his nephew yep. to stay in school, that episode struck me as lazy even as an 11-year-old. Not very good. <laughs> yeah, PJ's... I, I don't like PJ's character at all, to be honest, uh, even though he was a representation for Pac-Man Jr. Um, I just found him, like, annoying. <laughs> also, it's that weird case where it's like, the writers are trying to write what they think kids are cool, what ki what kids will think a cool kid is, but it's like a couple decades off because they're thinking of when they were kids what they thought was cool and not what current kids would think is cool. Thus, the somewhat Fonz ish attitude. It it was really bad. Talk about the other season two character. He's much better. Oh yeah, Super Pack, voiced by Lorenzo Music of Garfield fame, doing one of the few times where he does a voice that. Doesn't sound just like Garfield. <laughs> I mean, you can tell that he has that little tinge, but yeah, it's not Garfield's voice. Yeah, he's actually kind of more upbeat and yeah, heroic sounding. It's, it's rather not than Dunder or or no, who is it? Tummy or any of those other Garfield likes? <laughs> yeah. Oh heck, Darkwing Duck had an episode with a like radioactive spider, and it was just it's just oh yeah, you're right. The Garfield right. voice. <laughs> yeah. To his credit, though, that's a really good voice. <laughs> it is. You know, use what you have. Those reruns on the Cartoon Express were roughly the last impression of the series I remember having before it disappeared into the Hanna-Barbera vaults only to occasionally show up on Cartoon Network, usually in the form of uh, the Christmas special Carrie mentioned, Christmas Comes to Packland, around the holiday season. In fact, one time I woke up one Christmas morning and I turned on my TV and the first thing that came on was the very start of that episode. So it kind of uh, made me happy again. <laughs> That's generally the treatment. A lot of eighties Hanna-Barbera cartoons got on cartoon network during that era outside of some outliers like the Smurfs, the Snorks, the completely mental misadventures of Ed Grimley and a few spinoffs of their legacy cartoon properties, particularly the Scooby-Doo cartoons. Management for Cartoon Network basically considered the 60s and 70s output for Hanna-Barbera as the prime of that studio. I mean, <laughs> I, I want to argue that, but <laughs> I can't. <laughs> as, a, as a big fan of Hanna-Barbera, I definitely have to say their 60s output is probably their, their best overall stuff. Maybe not animation-wise, but definitely writing-wise. The spinoff network Boomerang was slightly kinder to these shows until it just became the dumping ground for original Cartoon Network programs that they weren't airing. And all they showed now in Boomerang, last time I saw it, was just, just long strings of Tom and Jerry and Looney Tunes and Scooby-Doo, and that's about it. Yeah, though if you go to the Boomerang website, they have a... I don't know if that streaming service still exists, but last I checked, they did. They have, a, like, some crazy stuff on the, there, like... You can actually watch the short-lived 80s revival for the Yogi Bear show on huh. there, which surprised me. They, they put it in with the original shorts, too, which is like it takes this massive jump in art style. But, yeah, it's kind of crazy. At least we can say Pac-Man's not forgotten because uh, Warner did release it on DVD. Mm -hmm. Yep, I bought them <laughs> when they came out. And Pac-Man's influence on Saturday morning wasn't a flash in the pan either. Ruby Spears picked up on the success of their sister company's efforts and turned it into the Saturday Supercade for CBS, 
an anthology series featuring Donkey Kong, Hubert, and many more in 1983 and 1984. More details on that can be found in our episode on one of its featured segments in its second season, Space Ace. Yep. They also did the uh, Dragon's Lair cartoon, which was separate from Saturday Supercade. Yep, they did that one for ABC. And another Namco arcade hit, Pole Position, would join the Supercade on CBS for a single season, courtesy of Deke. Do you really think that Pole Position was based on the game, or they just use the same generic racing term as the game? It actually has a it has a it has a copyright to Namco on the uh, okay on it. Huh. Well, if they ever bring that back, they need to call it Final Lap. Uh-huh. You know, because of, <laughs> you know, of the sequel. Yep. And stay tuned for our episode on Pole Position in March. I, I will say I've rewatched Pole Position, and it's got it's got a lot of A's goofiness in it, but for the most part, it aged way better than I expected it to. I will say that. After that initial burst of video game to cartoon adaptations, the bottom kind of fell out, right alongside the bottom falling out of the video game industry at that time. Can I say that uh, one of the other cartoons that was paired with Pac-Man was a Rubik's Cube cartoon? (laughs) Yes. Does it get any more 80s than Pac-Man and Rubik's Cube together? You know, I can't convince enough people that there actually was a cartoon based on Rubik's Cube. Nobody believes me until I have to show them a video of it. It's it's definitely an experience, I'll say that. They made a bunch of gremlin thing. But... Well, what's weird, though, is season one of Pac-Man was actually in a block that was called the the Little Rascals Pac-Man and Richie Rich block. Yeah, you know which one of the was was the only one I watched of that. <laughs> yes. I actually like the old uh, Richie Rich cartoon. I have a soft spot for that. Yeah, there's another one cool. coming next year on the show. Yeah. Little Rascals, though, it's like, of all things to bring back in the 80s... <laughs> I think it's probably because they they showed repeats of the original Little Rascals on TV, and maybe that that was popular. I don't know, but why pair them with Pac Man? I don't I don't get that. Well, what what's funny is when they uh, when they paired Pac Man with Rubik's Cube, they then changed that block into the Little Rascals Richie Rich Monchichi <laughs> show. Wow. But what about the Pac Man games? As it turns out, this cartoon would directly influence Namco's work more than once, just as Carrie had pointed out, way back at the top of the podcast. I mean, it's really prominent in Packland with the theme song and the appearance of the ghosts, and and midway when they brought the game to the States, went the extra mile to, to change the appearance of Pac-Man and family to more closely resemble their animated incarnations, and they added Sourpuss and Chomp Chomp in too, out of just out of whole cloth. Yep. And and also worth mentioning that uh, in that even in the original Namco version, Pac-Man's wearing a red hat in that, so that obviously influenced as well. It's not the fedora, but it's still a similar red hat. And even though Namco would probably never say anything, I really bet that was a joint venture between Midway and Namco to base it off a cartoon. Wouldn't surprise me. There's no way I, it could be otherwise, I don't think. And while the ghosts have basically reverted to their classic forms now... Anytime we see Sue pop up in a new game, she's purple. All the way up to Pac-Man 256 from the people who did Crossy Road. Pac-Man 256 is a really good game. It is. I agree. It is It is a really good Pac-Man game. It's simple but fun, and that's always yep. great. It's on the, Pac- the new Pac-Man Museum Plus, too. It is. So, gentlemen, 
any uh, closing thoughts on Pac-Man? Well, I have a few, if you don't mind. Hit us up. Okay, well, I meant to do this earlier, but we kind of, you know, lost track. But I thought it might be fun if y'all have any good stories about how y'all got into Pac-Man. Or what when y'all first discovered Pac-Man. Do y'all, do y'all have any stories and memories about that yourselves? Honestly, I can't remember a time when I didn't like Pac-Man. Okay. How about I, you? Considering I, I would have been one year old when the game first came out. Sure, sure, I understand. Um, I remember that my parents taught me how to play Pac-Man. Okay. And I, uh, Pac-Man is responsible for me being into art, actually. The first thing I learned to draw was Pac-Man. I mean, because I figured out really quickly, oh, it's just a circle with a V cut into it. And and I got in trouble in kindergarten because I kept drawing Pac-Man on the uh, blackboard. (laughs) (laughs) Which uh, they told my, uh, they actually told my parents that, uh, I think your son's got an issue and you need to get him away from Pac-Man. And my parents were like, nah, and just got me more Pac-Man stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Way to go, parents. (laughs) Well, I have a little bit of a story that I've told a few times about how I got into Pac-Man or how I first discovered Pac-Man. So Pac-Man really wasn't my first video game I ever played, even though I didn't realize it. My dad, uh, back then, he built our first TV from this catalog called Heath Kit where you could order parts to build stuff. He built like a metronome and he built our first TV that lasted well until I was in high school. And he put a imitation pong machine in the back. So that technically that pong was the first video game I ever played, even though I didn't realize it at the time that that was a video game. I just thought that was something that you did on the TV. But when I was around five years old, uh, I was sitting on the couch with my dad when we were watching the TV and the news was on. And on the news, they were showing these people building these big yellow machines that had lights on them, and you could put coins in them. And I didn't know what it was, but I thought it was a, maybe a vending machine. So, But I didn't really think much of it. So a, a few months later, my mom and I were grocery shopping, and I saw that same machine I saw on TV right at the edge where the checkout counters are, because back then, grocery stores had arcade, machine, arcade machines at the, at the front of the store. And so I asked my mom if I could go look at this this thing I saw over there. And she said, sure. And then when she was done with the uh, checking out the groceries, she came over and she gave me a quarter to put into it. Huh. If she knew what that action would have chain reacted into, she might have had second thoughts. Because all the way home, I was talking about nothing but that game. The sound effects, the colorful ghost and maze, and what we don't take for what we kind of take for granted now, I was amazed that you move a joystick and your patenting character would move along with it. Mm-hmm. And so ever since then, I was just into Pac-Man. You know, I drew Pac-Man mazes. I ate Pac-Man cereal I, and pasta, and I slept on Pac-Man bed sheets. And, you know, like I said at the beginning, it's just something that kind of shaped, you know, who I am as a gamer and kind of as a person almost. So, so yeah, that's just how I, that's just how I got into Pac-Man. So. Yeah. I feel that because when I was a kid, I definitely had the Pac-Man fever too. I had the, also had the bed sheets and all, ate the cereal and all that stuff. Yep. Uh, let's see. I also miss that day when, like, literally, it, like in the eighties, it was like anywhere you went, it was like convenience store, grocery store, restaurant. There's an arcade machine there because why not? Yeah. And you know, when we're done talking about this, I, I think that. Uh, you know, there's one more thing about Pac-Man that we should talk about at least a little bit, even though I don't really want to. This wasn't the last time Pac-Man had a cartoon. That nope. is correct. 
So I believe that, it was around the 2010s that uh, Pac-Man and the Ghost Adventures came yeah. around on, I think, yeah. The Hub? Uh, I, I don't remember, honestly, because I think it may have also... I thought it was on... Was it on Cartoon Network or was it on the Disney Channel? Well, from what I remember, Pac-Man and the Ghostly Adventures was on uh, Disney XD. That's where I first saw it, anyway. And it's a computer-animated show based on Pac-Man. I didn't really back up my research, but I think that it was done by the or directed by the same guy who did Animaniacs of all things. <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> but this cartoon, Pac-Man and Ghostly Adventures, is horrible. They took everything that was good about the Pac-Man cartoon, the original Pac-Man cartoon, which wasn't much, and they just took all of that out. You know, uh, the good voice acting, you know, the, the fun family man atmosphere, it's all gone. Okay, um, it wasn't directed by, but it was developed by Tom Ruger and Paul okay. Rudd. Okay, all righty. Well, th thanks for the cl clarification. I'm sorry. I apologize I didn't do more research about it. I just remember reading that somewhere. And, and you're right. It was, you're right. You were right, though. It was Disney XD. Sorry. Yeah. But, um, oh, man, uh, I could go on about that cartoon, but it is so awful. I think they just made it just so they could make toys of Pac-Man, you know, compete with all the Mario and Sonic toys that were popular at the time. But, you know, the voice acting was horrible. The storyline is really dark, too. It's like Pac-Man's world had a, a war whenever uh, Pac-Man was just a little baby and his parents went missing. But... Pac-Man and his parents were the only yellow Pac people, so they were able to chomp ghost. And when the war was over and Pac-Man's Pac parents was were missing, all the losers in the war got turned into ghosts. So it's kind of like a genocide. <laughs> and then, okay. and then wow. To, yeah, and then you go to present day, and Pac-Man is a teenager in a boarding school, and uh, he discovers the ghost world and. And so I think they like accidentally let him free. So now Pac-Man and his friends have to, you know, battle the ghosts in every episode. And Pac-Man eats special power pellets that turn him into different things like ice and fire. And he's basically Kirby now. And uh, there's even one episode where uh, the ghost monsters Inky, Blinky, Pinky, and Clyde find the little container where they where they house all the bodies of the losers of the war, and they try to like possess their old bodies again. <laughs> That's just messed okay. up. That's messed up. I hadn't seen that one. Yeah, I, I've watched them all. I'm that much of a Pac-Man freak. I've, I forced myself to watch them all. But, however, there is one thing about Pac-Man and the Ghost Adventures that I actually do like, although it's something that I think that most other people probably would not. And that's the fact that in the show, the four ghost monsters are Pac-Man's friends. Yeah, they still work for the, the, bad, the main bad guy who's called Betrayus. Of course. You know, uh, if, if, you're, if your name is Betrayus, I mean, you know, you're going to be a bad guy. But they still work for the bad guy, but there's all sorts of, you know, funny conflicts about, you know, do they need to obey their boss or do the right thing and help Pac-Man? And they always help Pac-Man, but I just thought that was kind of a neat dynamic and something that, you know, if they decide to, uh, you know, work back into a, a new Pac-Man show, that'd be kind of cool. But luckily we're past all that. Pac-Man and the Ghostly Adventure stuff since now, you know, thanks to games like Pac-Man Museum Plus and uh, Pac-Man World Repack, uh, Pac-Man now has his family again with Pac-Bomb and the renamed Pac-Boy and Pac-Sis and Pac-Buddy and, and whatever. 
but uh, but yeah, there that 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 era of Pac-Man and the Ghost Adventures was a dark day for Pac-Man indeed. <laughs> I, I was just gonna say that uh, I also thought the whole like Pinky has a crush on Pac-Man thing was really weird. Also, more made more like awkward because Pac-Man kind of leads her on about it, which is like kind of wrong. <laughs> yeah, but um, according to Namco documents that they originally wanted Pinky to be female and have a crush on Pac-Man. That's why she, in the game, she heads them off at the pass all the time as her character trait. Well, I, I'm more like questioning Pac-Man kind of leading her on. That's kind of crappy. Yeah. Um, well, again, Pac-Man is not a family man in that in that cartoon, and that's one of the reasons why it's so unlikable. So, I, I've watched the first, I think, six episodes of that show. I didn't mind it. I was kind of like, eh. <laughs> was kind of my response. I was like, it, it's dumb, but I, if I was eight, I would love, I'd probably eat this up. So. Um, I guess. I will say that the video games that they made out of it, the Pac-Man and Ghost Adventures video games, the, those, the video games aren't that bad. They're really they're not that bad at all. They're serviceable 3D platformers. Well, I think we should probably put it down here. Alrighty. Can I say well, one more thing about Pac-Man the Ghostly Adventures just to get it off my brain because it's on in it right now. Oh sure. Uh well I was asking James, but <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. One thing that does bother me though with that plot about the war and everything is like in modern day everyone's like, oh ghosts don't exist. I'm like, guys, it couldn't have been that long ago. <laughs> this happened like what, a decade ago? <laughs> it's like, how can you go how can everybody in this pack world be like, ah, ghosts don't exist? It it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> that was the one thing that did bother me. Sorry, I had to get that out. <laughs> uh, propaganda. I there you go. I do like that they uh, do remixes of the Pac-Man music in it. Okay, I'm done now. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we go, I thought that I'd end this podcast with some Pac-Man related jokes. Oh boy. Oh y'all. Uh, okay. All righty. Okay, this first joke. I actually found on the back of a Pac-Man pasta can label, and for some reason I still remember it to this very day. So here's the joke. Okay, what did all the ghost monsters say when they found out that Pac-Man could eat the dots, but they couldn't? They said, dots unfair! <laughs> okay, one more, one more. This one actually made up myself, okay? What did his and go do when Inky tried to ask her on a, out on a date. She ghosted him! Ah! Pemmy? Yeah? You got your power pellet handy still? <laughs> uh, uh-oh. I think I'd better be going now. I'll see y'all later whenever y'all do the Chippendale Rescue Rangers or Bluey or Muppet Babies or Garfield and Friends podcast. Okay, uh, bye! <laughs> oh. He left before he could plug his pluggables again. Oh, actually, I'm back because I wanted to say one more thing that I forgot. <laughs> please, please don't edit this out because this is really important. I really wanted to say thank you both for letting me be on this podcast. And uh, it really means a lot to me that y'all took the time to include me in it. And, and that it, it, it was just really important to me that, that y'all did that. And it really means a lot to me. So thank y'all so much. Oh, no problem, man. Okay. You are the only <laughs> natural choice for this subject. <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll remember you whenever we uh, do Pac-Man and the Ghostly Adventures. 
Oh, no. More appropriately, we'll remember you when we do Chip and Dale. <laughs> well, let's just say this. I have the Pac-Man old cartoon on DVD. I do not have Pac-Man and the Ghostly Adventures cartoon on DVD. <laughs> In the meantime, don't forget to listen to Carrie Woodham on the P- Pizza Pixel podcast. And check out his reviews on GamerDad.com. And until next time, it's time to restock the breakfast cereal. Folks, thank you all for for listening. We will see you in two weeks. See ya! Bye-bye! The penny and James to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast! The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.